Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Ancestor, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler, performed by the author. Ancestor is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash ancestor. November 8th, a hot time in the old town. Brady Giovanni didn't mind the cold, but that didn't mean he was stupid about it. He had been one of those kids who always listened to his mother. Growing up in Saskatoon, listening to your mother meant dressing warm. When on call, dressing warm meant wearing his thermal long johns and socks to bed, cutting down his response time. After Gunther's call woke him, it took Brady only seconds to pull on the black Janata parka with the matching snow pants, military-grade cold-weather gloves, a scarf, and the thing that Andy, the asshole crossweight, teased him about to no end, a wool hat knitted by none other than Brady's mother. The hat fit perfectly over his big head and the headset mic combo in his ear. He punched in his access code at the front interior airlock door. It opened, and he stepped into the chamber. He closed the door and waited five seconds while the pressure equalized. A beep from the door let him know the cycle had finished. Gun, this is Brady, exiting now. Roger that, Gunther's voice said in his ear. Bread in hand, Brady opened the heavy latch to the outside door and stepped into the cold night air. The compound's lights lit up the grounds. From the door, he could see the back of the satellite dish. Nothing moving. He double-timed it across the snow, the icy wind pulling at him as he ran. It could blow all it wanted, because Brady was prepared. Maybe a little more than just prepared, as proven by the sweat that already trickled down his armpits despite the sub-zero temperatures. He kept a sharp watch as he cut a wide circle around the satellite dish. Nothing really happened at the isolated facility. Even something as trivial as this hardware failure brought welcome excitement, gave him a chance to practice good soldiering. The 15-foot-wide satellite array pointed out to the stars, away from Brady. His circle brought him around to the front, where he could see the receiver held up by metal arms that pointed in and up from the concave dish. As he moved, he steadily swept his vision from left to right, then right to left. Gunther's voice piped into his headset. You there yet? I'm 20 feet away and you know that, Brady said. You're watching on infrared, aren't you? Gunther's laugh sounded tinny through the small headset. Yeah, I love this thing. Never get to use it. Nothing moving out there but you, big fella. Brady came around the front of the satellite dish. Seeing no movement, he closed in until he could examine the receiver. He stared at the gadget for a full three seconds, not really believing what he saw. Baffin Island wasn't boring anymore. The vid phone again let out its shrill digital blare. Colden groaned and rolled over and looked at the phone. 3.22 a.m. Jean again? Jesus, couldn't a guy just get some fucking sleep around here? Colden clicked the connect button. What's up, gun? We have a situation. Gunther said in a rush. The satellite array has been damaged. Colding instantly came fully awake. Define damaged. Let me patch in Brady, Gunther said. Brady, Colding's on. Tell him what you see. Gunther's face stayed on the screen, 
but Brady's girlish voice came from the speakers. Someone whacked the fuck out of the satellite array. The dish is fine, but the receiver transmitter unit has been smashed up pretty bad. Looks like marks from an axe. An axe. There were 12 axes spread through the small facility's interior. Whoever sabotaged the satellite dish had come from inside the building. Gunther, Colding said. Activate all the apartment cameras and give me a head count right now. No problem, boss. Gunther's eyes looked away from the screen, back to another unseen monitor. Let's see. John is awake and in the bioinformatics lab, typing away. Roomcorp is in his bed, looks asleep. Andy disconnected his room camera, but I can hear him snoring over the vidphone. Hoel is buried in her blankets. Brady is at the dish. I am here. You're there. And Hey, Timmy's not in his room. Colding stood up. Not in his room? Where is he? Do an infrared body count of the whole building. Gunther's droopy eyes narrowed in concentration. Um, infrared confirms all visuals. Everyone accounted for except for Brady and Tim. And I just checked the access and egress logs. No one has coded in or out for the past two hours. But I just went out, Brady said. Walked right out the front. Not showing up, Gunther said. Someone shut off the tracking. And it looks like the hallway cameras are fixed on a loop. I... I can't tell how long it's been since they've shown live video. Coling started pulling on his clothes. Call up the access to the admin log. Whose code turned off those systems? Uh... Colding heard Gunther's fingers tapping away. I'm looking. Move it, Gun. You're supposed to know how to do this shit. I know, I know. Hold on, here it is. Access code was 6969. Tim's code. But why? Why would Tim do such a thing after all this time? Why? Unless... Brady, Colding said. I want Tim found. He's sabotaging us. Yes, sir. And keep your eyes open. He's got that axe at least, if not other weapons. Yes, sir, Brady said. Should I take him out? No, for fuck's sake, don't kill anybody, Colding said, shocked at how quickly Brady considered lethal force against a friend. But Brady was thinking like a soldier. Colding needed to think like that as well. If Tim really had taken a payoff from another biotech company, or far worse, he was working with Longworth's Special Threats Biotech Task Force, there was no telling what the guy might do. Protect yourself, Colding said, but do whatever you can to avoid shooting him, okay? Yes, sir, Brady said, his voice crawling up another pitch in the excitement. Gunther, Colding said, get Andy up and tell him to guard the rear airlock. If Tim's outside, I don't want him getting back in. And get the internal cameras working. Fuck, man, I don't know how to do that. You told me you'd studied up on this system, goddammit. I know, I know. My bad, but I can't fix it now. You want me to go outside and search as well? Colding punched his leg in frustration. Gunther was too busy writing his fucking vampire romance novels to do the homework that was expected of him. Colding's own fault, really, for taking Gunther's word for it instead of writing Shotgun. Just stay in the control room and get it fixed. Yes, sir. Gunther's face disappeared from the screen. Colding jammed his feet into his boots, then reached into his nightstand, pulled out his Beretta, and popped out the magazine. Full. He made sure the safety was on before he shrugged on his parka. He quietly opened his door and cautiously checked the hallway. Seeing no movement, he headed for the main airlock. <laughs>
The admin screen listed five errors. Backup failure. Satellite hardware failure. Door access tracking system failure. Camera system failure. Hangar temperature level dangerously low. John's fingers danced across the keyboard, calling up menu after menu, or trying to. Most of them were blocked. Her access code had been erased. She had to move fast. Whoever was doing this wanted to wipe out the research. Something had taken out the satellite uplink, so she couldn't even do an emergency data dump to Janata headquarters in Manitoba. On top of that, the hacker had already erased the off-site backup drive. Erased it. The only remaining active data set was in the main drive, located right under her desk in the bioinformatics lab. Jian had caught the attack on that drive, intercepted it in midstream, and countered it. If she had been sleeping, they would have lost everything the God Machine had produced since Bobby Valentine brought the latest samples. And that would have been disaster indeed, because it was finally working. She split her focus between wiping out the last vestiges of the rampaging computer programs and watching the God Machine's readout. She would handle the other problems as soon as she could. Fixing the cameras would be a snap, but she didn't know what was causing the hangar temperature to drop. Someone had manually shut off the radiant heaters, but why? The god machine interrupted her thoughts with a cheerful chime that sounded horribly out of place considering the current situation. John looked at the upper middle left screen, the one that showed the new announcement. Genomes A17 sequencing, complete. Proofreading algorithm, complete. Viability probability, 95.0567%. 95%. She had done it. Whatever it took, she had to protect this data set. He hung in that space between conscious and unconscious. Bits and pieces came back. A sound, his name, the shitty taste in his mouth. Andy Crossway just wanted to stay asleep. But that rotten cocksucker Gunther would just not shut the fuck up. Andy, come on, wake up! The only light in the room came from the vid phone, which was damn near blinding to Andy's squinting, sleepy eyes. The phone screen showed that dickhead Gunther looking like he needed a bathroom pit stop pronto before he dropped the Hershey squirts in his pants. Gun, don't you have a fag novel to write or something? Andy, I'm not kidding. Get your ass up now. Fuck off. Get up. Tim's sabotaging the place. You need to guard the back door. Andy reached out and put the vid phone face down. Then he put his spare pillow on top of it. It didn't drown Gunther out completely, but Andy was a very sound sleeper, and it would be enough. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. 
Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Andy, you shithead, wake up! The feed from Andy's vid phone had gone black. Gunther started to scream again, louder this time, when motion on another monitor caught his eye. The hangar. Brady! Brady! Come in! Easy, Gun! This headset's inside my ear, okay? Right, sorry. Gunther continued in a calm voice. Infrared shows the cows in their stalls in the hangar, but there is a person moving by the vehicles. Just one? You sure? Gunther looked again. The black and white monitor showed heat and white, cooler colors in gray shading to black. Aside from the cows and the mystery heat source, he saw only Brady moving from the satellite dish toward the hangar's front door. Confirmed. Just one target. Gotta be Tim. Can you see what he's doing? Where is he? Looks like he is in front of the Humvee. No, he's moving through the back of the hangar. He's going for the cattle. Move. Colding's voice sounded on the same channel. Brady, slow down. I'm on my way outside. Gunther saw Brady's heat signal close on the hangar's front door. Gotta take him now, Brady said as he closed the last ten feet. Can't let Tim kill the cows. No, Colding said. Brady, just wait. On the black and gray monitor's picture, Gunther saw Tim's white heat signature sprint away from the hangar's back door. The signature stopped for just a second. Then Gunther saw a tiny flicker of white moving back toward the hangar. Very small, not human-sized at all, and moving fast. Brady, be careful. I've got another heat source. Brady barely heard Gunther's words as he put his big shoulder into the hangar's front door, slamming it open with a clang. He ran through, cut left then knelt and leveled his Beretta in the direction of the Humvee and the fuel truck, 
the best spots for cover if there was a second enemy soldier. But it wasn't his eyes that detected danger. It was his nose. What he smelled in that last second of his life told him he had made a really, really bad mistake. The thick, rotten egg scent of natural gas. In a fraction of a second, his eyes flicked to the radiant heater inside the door, to the shattered plastic gas pipe leading into it. Hacked open, he realized, with a fire axe. Brady didn't have time to see that all 16 ground-level heaters had suffered identical damage. For 30 minutes, 16 cracked, one-inch PVC pipes had poured gas into the hangar's closed environment, where it floated up to the ceiling, gathering in an invisible cloud. A gasoline-soaked rope made a simple fuse. The saboteur had left one end inside the back door, then trailed the rope 50 feet outside. One flick of a lighter had done the rest. Just two seconds after Brady Giovanni's muscled mass slammed through the front door, the rope's flame danced into the hangar and kissed the gathered cloud of gas. The fireball started at the back of the hangar and grew exponentially, lashing out at a pressure of 20 pounds per square inch, the equivalent of a gust of wind traveling at 470 miles an hour. The shockwave smashed into Brady, throwing the big man back. Had he gone through the door, he might have lived, but he hit the hangar's inside wall and was not cold. He didn't feel the 3,000-degree Fahrenheit fireball engulf him. He didn't see his clothes burst into flame, didn't sense his skin bubble. The cows fared no better. The shockwave knocked them about like little dogs, not the 1,500-pound creatures they were. Cows tumbled, burned, and smashed into stalls. Some hit the hangar walls with a gong audible even over the explosion. The hangar's huge roof seemed to lift up, balanced on a growing cloud of flame, then crashed down, smashing the Humvee and the fuel truck, punching through the truck's tank and exposing aviation fuel to the still-roiling fireball. Dark orange flames shot up from the destroyed hangar, scorching metal and melting plastic. Before Andy's mother had abandoned him to try her hand at whoring for Alberta loggers, she had always said he could sleep through a herd of buffalo stampeding through his room. That was before the military. While there were many things he could sleep through, such as Gunther's annoying voice in the vidphone, a ground-shaking explosion was not one of them. If Andy knew one thing in this world, it was how to wake up fast to avoid getting killed. He was off the bed, crouched on the ground, Beretta in his hand before he even processed what he'd heard. Gunther had tried to get him up. Oops, Andy said. He started scrambling into his clothes. In Erica Hole's bed, Tim Feely rolled over, the covers falling away from his face. Who was making all that damn noise? And he was hot. Someone had tucked the covers all up over his head. Damn, the room still spun like crazy. One thing about those Dutch women, they sure could drink. Drink and fuck like nobody's business. He often wondered what Erica Hole had been like in her 20s, and he often reminded himself he probably didn't want to know. The woman was 45, and he barely lived through their lovemaking sessions. He reached out for Erica, only to find her side of the bed empty. 
she was probably taking a leak. The room spun again, and Tim Feely dropped back into a deep sleep. What an explosion. What a rush. Erica Hole couldn't believe how well her plan had worked. Simpletons. And the back door wasn't guarded. In her projected timeline, she figured Andy would be there by now. She checked her watch and waited. Another few seconds before the final hacking program kicked in. When it did, she could slip back inside, make sure the bioinformatics lab petabyte drive was erased, then crawl into bed with Tim and just play stupid. If she ran into colding along the way, she'd just say she was trying to get away from Tim, who'd suddenly started making threats and acting crazy. The ruse wouldn't last long, of course, but Fisher and his gorillas would be here soon. When Fisher arrived, Erica would be safe. Then, she could rub it in Klaus's face, and her former lover would know that she had destroyed all of his work. She stared at her watch and counted down the seconds. Gunther Jones gave up trying to reach Brady. The man wasn't going to answer. The hangar fire made the exterior infrared cameras useless. The hallway monitors were still looping, but he had good coverage in all the rooms, and the normal exterior cameras worked fine. At that moment, all of his monitors simultaneously filled with static. His computer terminal beeped a pointless alarm. Camera system failure. No fucking shit, Gunther said, as he reached under the counter for the system manuals. Erica positioned the axe under one arm and looked at her watch. Her program would have just launched and shut down the cameras. She had to go, now or never. She peeked in the rear airlock's small window. No one there. She punched 6969 into the keypad, then walked inside and shut the door behind her. The airlock pressure cycle took only five seconds, but it felt like five minutes. Gunther, Andy, Brady, or Colding could be anywhere inside, or even following her from the outside. And they had guns. The five-second cycle finished. The interior airlock door beeped and opened. Erica ran silently into the facility and headed for the bioinformatics lab. If her program had worked, it was over. If Jian had countered it, Erica would have to destroy the petabyte drive by hand. Colding opened the front airlock to see flames billowing up from the shattered hangar. Thick smoke twisted in the night wind, blocking out the stars. Even 50 yards away, the heat was damn near blistering. He crouched behind a boulder off to the left, both to take cover in case Tim was out there and to shield himself from the fire's radiating rage. He still couldn't quite grasp the fact that Tim had waited for two years, worked away on the project, really contributed to it, pushed for its success, only to suddenly do this. Colding had thought he knew the man. Gunther, where the fuck is Tim? His earpiece let out a burst of static followed by Gunther's voice. All the cameras are out. I can't see a thing. And Brady was in the hangar when that thing went off. Shit. Brady, come in, Colding said. No one responded. Brady, if you can hear this, tap your earpiece twice. Anything to let us know you're there. Colding waited for three slow breaths, but still no response. If Brady had entered the hangar, he was already dead. And that made Tim Feely a murderer.
Kolding had to protect the scientists. That meant neutralizing Tim first, searching for Brady second. A fucked up prioritization, because if Brady was bleeding out somewhere, unable to respond, delaying a search might cause his death. But Brady Giovanni was paid to put his life at risk if need be. Ruhmkorf, Jean, and Erica were not. Kolding scanned the area as calmly and patiently as he could. He saw nothing. The front airlock door opened. Kolding turned, instantly leveling his Beretta, ready to fire at Tim if the man made one wrong move. Only he wasn't pointing his gun at Tim. He was pointing it at Andy Crosswaite. Andy Crosswaite, who was supposed to be guarding the back door. Motherfucker, Kolding said to himself as he took his aim off Andy and once again knelt behind the boulder. Andy ran in a half-crouch, reached the boulder, and knelt at Kolding's left. The smaller man swept his vision from straight out to his left, automatically counting on Kolding to sweep from straight out to the right. Andy wasn't panicking. He was calm and patient, doing everything right, except, of course, staying by the back door that he'd been ordered to guard. Andy, you keep your ass right here, Kolding said. I'm going inside to round up the staff, and I'll bring them back to the front airlock where you watch them. You don't move until I call you, you understand? Back off, dickface, Andy said. I know what the fuck I'm doing. A rage grew inside Colding, but there was a time and place for every battle. Just stay here, Colding said, then scooted to the front airlock and slipped inside. Unless Gunther fixed the cameras, he'd have to check each room one by one. Erica slipped silently into the bioinformatics lab and saw the one thing she did not want to see. Liu Jandan, sitting at her multi-screen computer station, fat fingers click-clacking away. Jean turned in her chair, heavy black hair falling over her face like a mask. Erica's eyes automatically flicked to the upper row monitors above Jean's head. Genome A17 sequencing, complete. Proofreading algorithm, complete. Viability probability, 95.0567%. You did it, Erica said. I don't believe it. You, John's voice was a chilling whisper. You put that down. Erica looked at her hands. She'd forgotten she was holding the fire axe. So close to pulling it off and getting back to her room undetected. But now Jean had seen her. Erica's word against Tim's was one thing but Colding would automatically believe anything Jean said. So now they would know it was her. So what? What were they going to do? Fire her? There was nowhere for anyone to go, and Fisher's men would be here soon. All that mattered was the data. Jean stood, reached under her desk, and in one smooth motion, pulled out the foot-long petabyte backup cartridge. The two women stood there, facing off. Jean holding the project's future, Erica holding a fire axe. Jean, just give that to me. Jean stood, shook her head no, then stepped back. Erica stepped forward. Gunther's fingers traced the printed pages of a three-ring binder. He had to figure out how to reboot the system. The support docs said that would clear out Fuck You Feely's damn loops and hacks. Colding's voice hissed in his earpiece. Gun, come on! 
Where is that bastard? I'm trying. Wait, there it was. Just call up the prompt window, enter that bit of code. Gun, fix the friggin' camera. Hold on. Fingers typed the code, then hit enter. The monitors flickered, then all popped back to life. Got it, hold on. Once again, he had a complete view of the facility's security system. He flipped through the cameras, scanning for motion. Empty hall, room corp crouched at the foot of his bed. Empty hall, empty genetics lab. Erica's room. The blankets thrown back, but that wasn't Erica. Then the bioinformatics lab. That was Erica, holding an axe and moving towards Jean. Holy fuck holding! It's not Tim! It's Erica! What? Tim sacked out in Erica's room. Get to bioinformatics fast! Erica's going to kill Jean! A new beep joined the cacophony of security room alarms. Gunther knew that sound. The radar system. And we've got another problem. One aircraft inbound. ETA, five minutes. You have been listening to Ancestor by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.